And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for September 5th, 2023, which in the Hebrew calendar is the 28th of Elul, 5783. I am Walter Bingham. Today, we will be talking about the view of the Austrian street about their Nazi history. You will also hear why I am fed up with the interference of the Americans in our domestic and foreign affairs. And there'll be a focus on our high holidays, particularly enlightening and interesting for our non-Jewish listeners. But I begin with my continued amazement at what I have already described as the theater of the absurd to destroy former President Donald Trump. In the United States, it seems to be a felony, an imprisonable offense to challenge an election result. When we hear reports about President Trump's 6th of January speech to his supporters, it is remarkable that his call to be peaceful is totally omitted. In their efforts to prevent Trump from winning the Republican primaries, they are attacking him from all sides. The attorneys general from several states seem to imagine that conducting a case against Trump in their state will be a springboard to national fame and promotion into the federal bureaucracy. I believe that their efforts will badly misfire. It's amazing that each time Trump is indicted, his rating in the national opinion polls goes up. Although I view opinion polls with skepticism, but if all polls conducted by different polling organizations produce the same result, then I have to believe it. Whilst the Democrats had two and a half years to prepare their case against Trump, they're only giving his lawyers six months to prepare the defense. The Democrats believe that by that time Trump will be out of the way and they will win the election. With the amount of documents that will be produced, the discovery period alone takes longer than that. Although nothing is certain, I think that Trump will win the election, and he can then pardon himself. It happened three years ago, but gives a good insight into today's relationship of the Austrian street with Nazism after 75 years since the end of World War II. From the outside, there is nothing outstanding about the three-story yellow house in Braunau, Austria, which has stood vacant since 2011. It was once used as a school, a bank, and a center for the disabled. The building could do with a fresh coat of paint. The owner was stubborn and had his own ideas what to do with the building. But the Austrian government was concerned that with the rise of neo-Nazism in the country, this house in which Hitler was born and spent the first three years of his life may become a pilgrimage site 
for neo-Nazis in the future. There was much discussion in Braunau. Some residents wanted to make it into a museum for peace. Others suggested to tear it down. In front of the house is a memorial stone which was placed there in 1989 as a warning about the dangers of fascism. Initially, the city official wanted it to be moved to Vienna or elsewhere in town so that the house is no longer a symbol of the city's history. But locals were annoyed, arguing that downplaying history is the wrong choice. To put an end to the several year-long controversies, the Austrian government has compulsorily purchased the property, will renovate it, and it will become a police station much to the consternation of the locals. I note from an article widely published at the time, quote, the Austrian government's push to neutralize the house of Hitler's birth raises difficult questions about how thoroughly the country has reckoned with its past. For decades after World War II, Austria's official position was that it was the first victim of the Nazi regime, a view that ignored the fact that many Austrians welcomed the German Reich and served in its army. Vienna has since shifted its stance, acknowledging its role in Nazi crimes and working to build a more comprehensive memory culture. But such debates pop up even today from a handful of recent scandals involving neo-Nazi songbooks at far-right fraternities to a scandal in Braunau over a poem condemned as deeply racist, comparing humans to rats. Austria's relationship to its past and the role to neo-Nazi ideology remains fraught. End of quote. In my experience, today's Austrian youth does not subscribe to these old ideas. Please don't tell me that it's all in the course of diplomacy because I'm fed up to the teeth with America's interference in our foreign and internal policies. We are neither an unstable dictatorship like Afghanistan or Niger or some other banana republic that gives the US an opportunity to peddle its influence. Israel is a stable and sovereign democratic force in the Middle East, perfectly able to look after its own interest. Biden and his administration, whose failed foreign policy cost countless American lives in Afghanistan and elsewhere, but have achieved nothing, are the last who are fit to criticize Israel. There is no doubt that the US is our closest ally, but not because they love us, but because we are their front line in an area that is not exactly friendly to them. On the other hand, there is a certain interdependence. We need their support for maintenance of our US military equipment or to resell military hardware which has a large US component, to mention just two. But that does not give them the right to dictate Israeli policy, whether domestic or foreign. The current US administration is not exactly demonstrating a rational approach to their 
own domestic affairs. And it seems that apart from the Trump affair, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is also conveniently used to divert public attention from their economic mismanagement. As far as the 2024 presidential election is concerned, the deliberate scheduling of dates for Trump's court appearance seemed to me a blatant example of judicial bias that will not sit well with the majority of the American public. And while on the subject of the elections, a quick word about the policy towards Israel of some of the presidential candidates. Donald Trump has amply demonstrated his almost unqualified support. Nikki Haley showed during the recent debate that her U.S. presidency would be an asset for Israel. But the 38-year-old newcomer Vivek Ramaswani, who has a great deal of support, needs to be viewed with caution. While declaring his friendship for Israel, he also displayed his semi-isolationist opinions, mentioning particularly restriction on funding for Israel. Some of the others paid unconvincing lip service regarding Israel. Now, let's focus on the high holidays. It's amazing how quickly we forget. During the high holidays last year, Many prayer services in Israel took place in open spaces, and we all wore masks. Extraneous noises often made it difficult to hear the Shaliach Tzibor, the prayer leader, and that could affect concentration. But God heard our prayers, and our synagogues were there when the pandemic had passed. I remember the times in Germany in the mid-1930s when worshippers were requested not to congregate but to disperse quickly after exiting the synagogue on Shabbat and holidays so as not to draw attention to the synagogue. Many synagogues and private homes avoided building a sukkah that could be seen from outside to prevent drawing attention to the presence of Jews. It will be 85 years ago this year when, after the night of November the 9th to the 10th, there were no more synagogues to which we could return. It was the infamous Kristallnacht during which all synagogues in Germany, Austria and the already Nazi-occupied western part of Czechoslovakia were burnt down and our holy Torah scrolls and artifacts were either destroyed or stolen, and 30,000 Jewish men were arrested and taken to concentration camps. That was officially the beginning of the Holocaust and the end of Jewish life under the Nazis. Fortunately, I could spend the following high holidays in the wonderful community of teenage members of Brit Chanutzim Dati'im in England and again celebrate Simchat Torah with our Sifrei Torah. I arrived there with a famous kinder transport. Following Sukkot this year, the kinder transport will be commemorated under the auspices of March of the Living when three of the original, still fit, former kinder will be flown out to Germany to travel the original route via Holland to England 
that was taken by almost 10,000 Jewish children unaccompanied without their parents. There will be several events on the way and a film crew will record the journey. I am privileged to be one of the three. For all those among us all over the world who managed to escape the clutches of the Nazis with the Kindertransport between Kristallnacht and the beginning of World War II on September the 1st, 1939, or indeed their children, this year's high holidays will be particularly poignant. Because we in Israel, who are taking part in the event, will be thinking of you. Today, our beloved state of Israel will ensure that what happened 85 years ago can never be repeated, and we are able to celebrate openly, each in his or her own traditional way, with dedication and without fear of hostile action. Rosh Hashanah, which means the beginning of the year, is celebrated on the first day of the Hebrew month of Tishrei. But how did Tishrei become the first month? The name stems from the Akkadian language spoken by the Babylonians and meaning beginning. But the beginning of what? When the Babylonian Jews, the most ancient people in the region, counted the beginning of the year in the spring, the month of Nisan. Rosh Hashanah is not explicitly mentioned in the Torah, but appears under different names in it. For instance, it is mentioned as a sacred occasion that starts on the first day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, which is today Rosh Hashanah. Although the holiday was probably well established in the 6th century before the Common Era, the name Rosh Hashanah shows up the first time in the Mishnah, a Jewish code of law compiled in 200 of the Common Era. Another name for Rosh Hashanah is Yom Teruah, the day of blowing the shofar, a ram's horn, that was also blown when the Israelites received the Torah at Mount Sinai. During the whole month of Elul, the shofar is sounded at weekday services in synagogues, and I would call it a wake-up call for what is to come when on Rosh Hashanah the shofar is sounded a hundred times during the prayer service. Unlike in manufactured brass or woodwind instruments, the shofar only sounds when the air exits. The Baal Tekiah, the blower, needs good lungs to produce the four different sounds. Tekiah, a long sound that brings the congregation to attention. Teruah consists of at least nine rapid short staccato sounds, not unlike an alarm, a call to prayer. Shefarim are three broken blows thought by some to represent our tears of joy. Then there is Tekiah Gedolah. It's like the Tekiah, but a blast that lasts as long as one lungful of the blower's breath. In the ten days after Rosh Hashanah, we prepare ourselves for the culmination, the full day of repentance, Yom Kippur, on which we neither eat nor drink for 25 hours and hope that God will hear our prayers and forgive our transgressions against Him. Unfortunately, there are elements of the non-Jewish world 
that deliberately misinterpret the most holy day in the Jewish calendar to promote their antisemitism. They distribute literature to show that Jews lie and cheat with impunity in the knowledge that once a year all is forgiven by their God. This is a blatant lie. The fact is that only transgressions against God may be forgiven. To be absolved from offending another person, we must ask what is called machila, forgiveness from him or her, because only they can forgive. This year more than ever, our actions by the diaspora and in the land of Israel have transgressed against God's will. By our constant display of disunity, may God forgive, bless and guard the Jewish people and be gracious to us so that no more evil will strike us in the future. Now, Back to mundane matters. Iran's financed and inspired terrorist attacks by stabbing, shooting and car ramming have been increasing in frequency recently to almost daily occurrences, costing Jewish lives and serious injuries. The terrorists are becoming more emboldened and our reaction is like a band-aid. It is now high time for Israel to take the initiative and not react, but to strike wider targets, for instance the villages where the terrorists live, so that their residents will exert pressure on their known activists not to engage in terrorism and harm the village. We frequently hear our ministers warning Iran not to provoke, yet they are continuing short of escalation. How much longer are we waiting before we begin targeted assassinations, which I believe will be the way to make the enemy think? A most interesting report appeared in the Defence Journal, written by Seth J. Franzman. He is a defence correspondent of the Jerusalem Post. And I'd like to quote, Israel's Ministry of Defence has announced this week that test flights have begun for its new Oron surveillance aircraft that it claims to be the world's most advanced aircraft of its kind. In a unique collaboration, the aircraft was designed jointly by the Ministry of Defense's Research and Development arm, Israeli Aerospace Industries ELTA subsidiary, the Israel Air Force, Intelligence Corps and the Navy. It is equipped with sensors and systems that the IDF says it will provide unprecedented intelligence capabilities across expansive terrain, enabling real-time monitoring of ground movements under diverse weather and visibility conditions. Let us hope that the tests will be successful and another step towards independence from the United States. And with this good news, I end for today. Until the next time, this is Walter Bingham wishing you a good and successful week. And wherever you are in the world, there are weather problems, so please look in on your elderly neighbor and see if they are well and comfortable. 
Thank you. Goodbye.